Well, we're going to jump straight into this morning's message, part two of our Christmas series, which we started last week, and I will finish tonight. And what we're going to do is we're going to just first of all read from Psalm chapter 66, verse 5, which has this little phrase in it, which I absolutely love, and it sort of made my mind stand to attention when I first read it. And it simply says this, see what God has done. Psalm 66, verse 5, see what God has done. And so for me, this is, I was preparing this, and I mentioned last week that, you know, the Christmas message doesn't change every year. The Easter message doesn't change every year. It's the same at Jesus born in a manger, the three wise men, the star in the sky, um, King, all that stuff. So for me, as a, as, a, as a preacher and a teacher and a communicator, I'm like, well, how do I not just repeat the same old, same old, but still honor the timeless truth that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but deliver it in such a way that we, we get it and it becomes fresh for us and exciting for us. So what, what I decided to do is this passage helped me go, see what God has done. And I thought about some times that I've traveled. Remember back in the day where you could travel and you could go on an airplane and you could go to different places and even over other countries and things like that. Isn't that crazy? And I remember flying in other countries in particular, not so much in Australia because everything's just desert and barren land, but in America in particular, when you fly at night, you just see like city after city after city everywhere and you see beautiful landscape during the day and that 20,000 feet view is spectacular. It's a view you'll never get when you're in the trenches just walking across that land but when you get up you can see it all. And so for, for us this Christmas, I want to do that for us with the Christmas story is, is take that 20,000 feet view and look down at what God has done. And so last week we looked at, uh, the message was called The Prophets. And so looking at the, the, prophet, um, the prophets that prophesied the coming Messiah over so many years. Because the idea is we're looking at the story of Christmas, which is arguably the greatest story ever told. But even the story of Christmas really is a chapter in a far greater story, which is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I can hardly preach Christmas without preaching Easter. That's the same story, just part A and part B. And so we're going to bring a little bit of the Easter message in as well, because it's part of the, the grand, grander narrative of the gospel story. And the gospel story is authored in perfect love. The story of Jesus Christ and what he did, not the... When I talk about the story, I'm not talking about like this mythical fairy tale. I'm talking about the, the historical reaccount of, of the life of Jesus, that he actually was a man that lived. He actually was a man that, that proclaimed to be the Son of God. He actually was a man that was crucified and rose three, uh, three days later. So this story, this, this greatest story ever told is, is, is etched and authored in perfect love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The whole story of the gospel message, the whole story of God's redemptive power is not because he hates people and is jealous because they rebelled against him and wants to draw them back. It's, it's the exact opposite. It's because people have hated God and pushed back against him and his endless love is bounding towards reconciliation and bringing them home to relationship with him. And most of us in this room today have found that redemptive love in Jesus. It's amazing. The story of the gospel is a non-fictional biographical masterpiece that does have eternal implications for all its hearers. It's unlike any other story where you can just go, that was cool. I enjoyed that, like Romeo and Juliet and a lot of Shakespeare's work. You can just enjoy that. There's, there's no ramifications on the back end of any man-made story. But when God divinely writes a story and reveals it through history, there's an eternal implication at play where we either accept that story and the truth from it 
and enjoy an eternity of blessing with him or we reject that and say, God, I, 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 turn, my, I turn away from that. I'll do it in my own strength. Thank you very much. So the stakes are very high with this story. But when we understand it's written in love, it's a, it's a game changer. So we looked at um, about 10 different prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, all the writings before Jesus came onto the earth, that's the, the first part of the Bible. The second part's since Jesus' arrival to his death in the early church, that's the New Testament. So we looked at about 10 different um, prophets that prophesied that Jesus would come. Now, I did a bit more research, and conservatively, we could estimate that at least there's 200 other direct prophecies written in the Old Testament about Jesus. They've become 200. Some would argue there's 400. There's, the scholars sort of range between 200 and 400. I think they're getting around the 400, but a little bit, bit obscure references. Um, but we can safely say that there is 200 times where multiple writers over 2,000 years of history have written about this Jesus, this coming Messiah, who would be born a baby and live the life, and we know the story of Jesus from there. And so there's these prophets, because God's story is, the story of the gospel is not God's afterthought, it's God's forethought. He had planned this out. It wasn't like you know, people got to this point of rebellion and, and craziness, and God's like, oh crap, what am I going to do? These guys are out of control. What if, what if, no, how about, no, that wouldn't work. Ah, oh, gee, what about if I, um, what if I made some rules? No, the rules didn't work either. We tried that one, didn't we? Um, what about... Jesus, how about you go, this, this should work, this will be fine, you go, um, you can be born a baby and, um, and we'll just figure the rest out as you grow up. That's not the gospel message, that's not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus' whole life and how he was born and all, how he would live was written for over 2,000 years prior to his birth in specific detail by multiple people over multiple generations. It's absolutely incredible. It is God's forethought, original plan and design, even from the very beginning of the formation of this world. It is phenomenal. So that's why last week we started with looking at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 quite a popular part of the Christmas story. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For they saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why was the king troubled about a little bitty baby bubby boy? Because he knew he was coming. He knew the prophesied Messiah, the prophesied King, the prophesied uh, Lord of the Jews was going to come and it was happening in his lifetime, in his reign. So his authority was threatened and therefore he was troubled. And what did he do in his trouble? He went and ordered the execution of all baby boys born in the last two years to make sure that, that he would get rid of God's master plan from all eternity and good luck with that. And many of us today try and thwart God's master plan and go, oh, I can, I'll just kill off God's plan. No, no, you will never shut down God's plan. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. Hot tip, he always wins. Don't try. So today, last week we looked at how Herod was troubled because he knew all these prophecies, these prophets had uh, prophesied Jesus. Today we're going to move into the prophet himself. And look at Jesus, and tonight I'm going to unpack the profit, the benefit, the, 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 the blessing, if you like, P-R-O-F-I-T, I had to correct my spelling there, um, the profit that comes from the gospel message. So to do that today, we're going to start with Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, and again, another popular passage when it comes to the Christmas message. 
The angel says this, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. Now, when the world thinks about the Christian faith, somewhere between 2,000 years ago when the angel prophesied Jesus, who is the cornerstone of our, of our faith, somewhere on the line, we, the church, have got it wrong. Because I'm not sure that the average person on the street, when they think, think about the church, think, good news, great joy for all people. But this is what the angel said Jesus would bring. So who's got this wrong? Where have we messed up? Maybe we've got too tied up in religious preferences in an attempt to be holy, in an attempt to be a good Christian person, that we've actually missed the point of bringing good news of great joy to all people. That's at the very core of the gospel message. As I said, the, the, the author of this story, God himself, authored it in perfect love. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Why? So that good news of great joy would come to all people. So there's a benchmark for us as Christians out in the world doing what we do. Bring good news, great joy for all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the angel saying, good news, great joy for everyone because today the Savior, Jesus, is born. So who is Jesus? Why is Jesus such a big deal? Why would his birth or his arrival create such headline news? Why would an angel appear to people and declare all this stuff? And, and why would there be such commotion with kings and rulers about the birth of this one particular boy? Why is it such a big deal? <coughs> to put it really simply, because God has entered the building. When the baby was born, God entered the building i want to show a little clip and i don't often do this but today i'm just feeling generous so you're welcome <laughs> just watch the clip and i'll unpack what i think i see in this particular thing thanks brenda
Look, full disclosure, I did, did prefer the, um, the Disney one from the 90s, but, um, but that seems to have to do the purpose. So here we see young Simba and his friend Nala off on an adventure in the elephant's graveyard outside the bounds and parameters that, that they were allowed to roam. And they're on this adventure of self-discovery, this, adve this adventure of fun, doing whatever they wanted to do. And then surely but slowly and certainly... Hyenas start to close in because they were outside the parameters that the king had set for them. And so it looked like it was all good for a while. It was fun. It was exciting. They were having a good time. It was all great. And then the hyenas come in and trap them. And these young cubs are powerless against the forces of this, these swarms of hyenas that keep coming. And then King Mufasa enters. And with that one roar, all the hyenas scatter. So what I see, and I see this, this is, this is like that 20,000 feet view of the gospel story. That humanity is, is like young Simba, young Nala. That God's put parameters, boundaries, God's put rules in place. Hey, this is how, how flourishing works in my kingdom, do this. But then humanity over time of like, we well, just want to go on an adventure. We want to do what we want to do. We want to explore. We want to do whatever makes us feel good. We, want to be, we don't want to just follow your rules. We want to create our own rules. We want to do whatever we want. And then this is the insidious nature of sin and rebellion against God. You feel like it's okay until it's not. You feel like you're getting away with stuff because the consequences don't kick in immediately. A little lie here, a little attitude there, a little flirtatious gesture with that person here and all of a sudden those things that you seem to get away with on a small level eventually catch up to you and you become like surrounded like hyenas which is like surrounded by sin and death which is encroaching around every side of you trying to destroy you and bring you down. And we might think we're power, powerful against it. We might think that we can stand up against sin and against our own desires of our own flesh and our own rebellion against God. But at the end of the day, we can't. Because the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. If we continue to serve our flesh and serve our sinful nature and serve whatever pleasure we want to do in this life outside of God's good pleasure for us, then payday's coming and the wages of sin that we will reap is, is death. But the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus is free. And when we understand that Jesus paid the price for all sin once and for all for those who put their faith in him, then everything we've ever done is washed, brand, washed away and made brand new and he's given us this incredible new life in him. And when we accept Jesus as Lord, it's like Mufasa entering our heart and every accuser, every doubt, every fear, every sinful nature, everything of the past that tries to hold you back has to flee when the name of Jesus enters the heart of a human, human being. Because there is no other name on heaven, in heaven or on earth by which we are saved other than the name of Jesus. And this is what I see when I see the gospel message, why it's such a big deal that Jesus was born and all this stuff happened and, and kings were threatened and angels came and all these people visited. It's because God had entered the building. Redemption had arrived. The bridge between God and humanity had been built. 
and his name was Jesus. We no longer have to jump through a thousand hoops of religion and ritual and rites of passage and stuff like that to make God happy. God sent his only son, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a death on a cross he did not deserve to die, rose again to pay the price for all sin. Remember the, the, the wages of sin is death? So Jesus tasted death, paid the price for all sin of all humanity. And I say this at Easter all the time. You know, people say beautiful things like, um, when Jesus hung on the cross, he stretched out his arms like this wide because that's how much he loves me. It's like, that's beautiful in some sort of Christian theater production. But the reality of what Jesus did on the cross is he reached down this way all the way to the very first sin committed in Adam and Eve and then he reached out this arm all the way through to the last sin that will be ever committed by humans on this planet and every sin in between was nailed to him on the cross so that anyone who would believe in him would have eternal life and no longer perish. And then when you get that, that's when you realize that the Christian message is not about rules or religion or wearing weird pants or weird shirts and talking in funny languages. That The message ultimately that boils down to of the Christian faith is good news of great joy for all people. That's what it is. And I will constantly push back on trying to fit a mold of, of Christian religion because it's not about fitting a mold. It's about following a person and his name is Jesus. It's about being with him. And we were with him in worship today. When we lift up his name, we are with him. His presence is here. And it's about being like him and serving people and loving people and being kind and being generous and being the kind of person that he was so we can represent him well on this planet today. Many other world religions see Jesus as a teacher. No one, there's, there's very few world religions that deny the existence of Jesus. What they deny is his deity, his godness, that he is God himself. And that's the exact cornerstone of our faith, Orthodox Christian faith, is that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God who came on this earth. So he's more than just a great teacher, he is God. He, he is more than just a wise man, he, he is God. He's more than just a servant leader. He, he is God. He is more than just an advocate for people. He is God. Not just a prophet that the prophets prophesied over 2,000 years, but he is God himself. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See what God has done. Prophesied it for so many years. He arrived. God entered the building. Not a wise guy, not a smart sage, not, not a cool teacher, but God himself entered humanity, which drove out the powers of darkness and made a way for every human being to be reconnected with God the Father in heaven, to bring and fulfill the prophecy of good news, great joy for all people. That's the thing. It's for all people. No matter what ethnic background you have, no matter what upbringing you have, no matter what education status you have, no, no matter what ability level you have, no matter how much finances you have or don't have, 
It's for everybody. Everybody. Whosoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's this beautiful open gift, open invitation for anyone who will choose to put aside the rebellion in their heart that rejects God and open it up to accept him because his love is waiting and knocking at the door for us to open it up for him to come inside. And when he comes inside, it's like Mufasa arriving in the elephant graveyard and all the accusers, all the doubt, all the fear, all the insecurity, all the, all the pain and baggage of the past flees when God enters the building, when God enters our heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for um, this time of year, for Christmas. What this means, um, that we don't just tell stories about a little cute baby and pat each other on the back about being religious and righteous and awesome, but we actually get to stop and reflect, do some soul searching, do some autocorrect of our intentions, autocorrect of our heart, our desires, to realign ourselves to your will and your purpose. And so, Father, today I thank you that you would, you would and you have spoken to us at the very core of who we are, to our heart. I thank you, if nothing else today, God, that we would all walk away knowing that you love us and that the story of Jesus is an eternal story that started way back at the creation of the world, that continued to his arrival 2,000 years ago and will be fulfilled and ongoing when we pass from this life to the next. And I pray that we would understand that that whole story, every detail, every plot line, every high, every low moment in this story is authored in love. For you so love the world, God, that you would send your only son so that whoever shall believe in them shall not perish but have eternal life. So I'm going to finish in, in 30 seconds, but as we in this moment of prayer, I want to just say a prayer that we could all pray together. It's a prayer that aligns our heart with God's heart. It's a prayer ultimately to accept Jesus as Lord. It's a prayer ultimately that opens up our heart for Jesus to come in like Mufasa came in and clean house. Give us a fresh start new perspective, new life. And not just for now, that's, that's the bonus. The real victory is we get eternity with him. The real victory is we get hope that when this life passes, and it will, that we get eternity in paradise with him. So why don't we pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for Christmas, that it's all about you. It was prophesied that you would come and you did, and we still live in this legacy today. I thank you, God, that the story of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And today, I choose to receive that story. I choose to receive Jesus as my Lord. 
I want to walk away from my past life and walk into a brand new life with you. Would you forgive my sin and heal my heart and fill me with your joy? In Jesus' name, amen.